Hi guys, I'm Brendan McCormack and welcome to another episode of the Perth FitFam podcast where you get to hear from the best thought leaders and change makers from across the Perth fitness scene. In episode 36, we are catching up with Olympic athlete and weightlifter Sonny Webster. We got to catch up with him whilst he was here for his seminar down in Iron Body CrossFit in Port Kennedy. And in today's episode, we discuss his journey starting from being 12 years old, getting into weightlifting, his rise to becoming an Olympic athlete to his four, where he returned a positive drug test for a SARM, which we discuss. We go into and his trials and tribulations with getting through the process, the court cases. And coming back out of it up until where he is now, where he does workshops and seminars across the globe. This episode is sponsored by True Protein. True Protein is unafraid to cut through the noise of an oversaturated market and break the mold to deliver authentic, all-natural products with genuine health benefits and none of the fake stuff. True have bucked the trend for expensive, overhyped, bad-tasting protein powders and supplements packed with false promises to reinvent the marketplace and create a 100% natural, delicious, quality protein with no gimmicks, nothing artificial, and a completely transparent ingredient list. You can get True Protein from trueprotein.com.au and make sure to use the code PERTHFITFAM10 for an exclusive 10% off PERTHFITFAM discount. And you can also purchase it from numerous locations right here in Perth. So if you want to find the one closest for you, just shoot us a message and we'll be able to help you out with that. But that is all for our intro. Time to get into podcast 36 with Olympic weightlifter, Sonny Webster. Hope you guys enjoyed. All right. Perfect fan podcast number 36, Sonny Webster. Welcome back to Perth. Thank you very much. We are down. i got to mention we're down in Ironbody in Port Kennedy. So thanks for Tony for bringing you in. Have you given us a chance to have a quick podcast before we kick off? Yep. Awesome. So um, you're here for your seminar a couple of times over. Before we kick off into the podcast, what's your favourite thing about Perth? Favourite thing about Perth? Well, I've only ever been here once before. My mm-hmm. auntie lives here. So I'm looking forward to tomorrow actually seeing a little bit more of the city because I haven't actually seen too much of Perth um. just yet. I know to stay away from the water though because there's lots of sharks. Yeah, great white sharks. <laughs> yeah, we live in the water and I still, uh, sorry, we live near the water and I still haven't got used to it yet. Whenever I'm out there, I'm still just like, oh. Like I said last week, me and Linda went surfing, loved it, but I still don't think I've got the balls to do it uh, in Australia. That's right. I reckon no <laughs> risk, no reward. We expect a Scarborough Beach video on Instagram stories tomorrow. Um so you're an, an Olympic weightlifter at an Olympic level, um, for those who don't know you, who are going to follow on now, but um, I saw that you started when you were 12 years old. So first of all, tell us, how do you get into Olympic weightlifting at 12 years old? Um, and, and give us a bit of a background about that and how, how you got into the sport. Yeah, I'm going to take you right back because for me, when I started Olympic weightlifting, CrossFit wasn't really a thing. You know, I'm 25 now, so 13 years ago. Um I was always into sport as a kid. I played a lot of sport. Golf was actually my f- my first sport, my first love. Like so. <laughs> Mainly through my dad, I have to admit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I played a lot of golf when I was younger. And um, going right back, my first sort of understanding of the Olympics and weightlifting as a, as a sport was, you know, um, being sat in a maths class of all things. And the PE teacher come running into this math class and we had like these big sliding doors that sort of separate the classrooms. They opened them up and said, look, we've got to turn that TV on. So massive is about to happen. And they flicked the TV on. I thought, great, this is better than maths. We're going to watch a bit of TV. 
And it was right at the point that um, Kelly Holmes and David Beckham were jumping up and down, hugging each other. Mm-hmm. And we had just r- won the bid to, um, to host the Olympic Games in 2012. And I was like, this is brilliant. What the hell is the Olympics? Like, <laughs> I didn't really know what it was at that time. How old were you back then? Oh, so yeah, I would have been like, oh God. Five, 2005 so I would have been 11 11 okay yeah 11 years old um, I was at the Olympics was that's great and um, we ended up doing a lot of lessons and stuff around what the Olympics was and um, I tried a load of sports out a load of athletics and I was kind of the kid at school that was good at loads of things but great at nothing I was generally sporty but not like a standout or anything I was just golf 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 Mm-hmm. and I always used to do really well at the um we used to do the 80 meter sprint when you're like between like the ages of 10 and 12 you do 80 meters before it becomes 100 meters and I used to kill everyone I'd be so quick off the line yep and then I'd just about you know hang on to my lead till 80 meters the minute it became 100 meters I'd just get <laughs> smoked because I'd be out of breath before I got to 100 <laughs> meters so Yep. Stop that. That was my only stint athletics. I was good at the old cricket ball throw. And like I said, tried loads of these sports. Wasn't good. Yeah. Um, and we ended up moving down to a um, down to Devon, which was about three three hours away from where I was living in Reading, and started this new school. And it was really well-renowned for being like a good um, sports school. And you could try lots of different stuff there. And I went down to my golf. But naturally, starting a, a new school, not knowing anyone, I didn't have a lot of mates, so yep. <laughs> I spent a lot of my time at lunchtime just walking around the corridors and chilling. And, you know, I stumbled across this um, this weightlifting gym mm-hmm. uh, within the school, which was just mental because, like, you yep. just don't see that very often. And uh, I walked in there, sat down on the bench and watched people do weightlifting. Mm-hmm. And I noticed, like, a few people from my class were, you know, coming to these classes and I was watching them getting to know them a little bit and I was being a bit annoying to be honest and taking the piss out of these people giving weightlifting a go yep and the coach come up to me after about you know two weeks of being sat there and said you know you know what are you doing uh sat here why don't you come over go yourself and I was like nah nah it's not really for me I'm a I'm a golfer and the coach was like nah nah you got to come over go and I was like nah it's not really trust me it's not for me and they're like right tell you what you got detention tomorrow lunchtime you have to come over go at this weightlifting and I was like <laughs> shit two weeks into school already got detention and um the next lunchtime went along and purely because I'd sat and watched weightlifting done wrong and done right for two weeks I already had a pretty good idea of you know what what was going to be asked of me yeah and I ended up beating everyone on my first day and the coach turned around to say have you done this before and I was like no and no, I've just been watching and you know that's what I always say now is like you know one of the best things to do before you get into weightlifting is sit and watch it done properly first mm-hmm. before you get around to giving it a go. And that was it. That was the end of it for me. And uh, the coach said, no, you got detention every lunchtime now until you want to be here. And that's how I spent the rest of my time in school. So he gave you a really, really good push to she. be able to do it. So she gave you a really, yeah. really good push to be able to do it. Um, when you say like you beat them, did you go straight into doing like a snatch or a clean and jerk? Yeah, well, I mean, there was kind of like a process, which is, you know, what I'm going to go over with the guys today is the same process that I learned to with, the, a breakdown of the technique first before you get around to learning it. You know, at that age, there wasn't the, like, the fact that I wasn't mobile enough to do the movements or anything like that that would hold you back. I was able to move very well already mm-hmm. as you do it. 10 years 11 years old yeah um it was more about learning the techniques and there was a process that i went through to learn the movement patterns and then stick them together and off we went snatch clean jerk 
There you go, and spend it every lunchtime. In one hour, mates. in Living one hour. Dream. It's going to take me longer than that with these guys today, but everyone will by the end of today, you know, having go through the process, will have a understanding of the movement. And I think for me, that's one of the, the hardest things is when people go to learn Olympic weightlifting, they see such a complex movement. And again, when it gets taught, it's so complex that people end up leaving mind boggled when, you know, anything that's complex is hard to repeat consistently. Mm -hmm. So I just really try and simplify the movement, make something nice and simple so that the guys can repeat it consistently. Do you think that as you get older, generally someone in fitness comes from like, let's say a bodybuilding background or something where they're used to, uh, I guess muscular contraction mind muscle control and then they go into Olympic weightlifting or CrossFit and they muscle the weight around whereas you didn't have to unlearn any habits yeah of course it makes it much easier you know if people come to me and go like I've never done weightlifting before Sonny can you teach me versus someone that's going I've seen it I've had a go because you know you can move a bar with the, with the wrong muscles and it makes it very difficult then to understand that no I don't want to use my biceps anymore I want to use my legs to do the movement yeah now, so two years, you said that you were doing weightlifting at school for? More than that. I was there for five, five years practicing weightlifting. And so a big part of your, a big portion of your time at school then went to weightlifting? Before school, after school, lunchtime. I can count on one hand how many lunchtimes I spent in the playground. It was always in the gym. Was that weird for other students or did they start to admire you at school? Very weird. But then, you know, I was fortunate within about two years into my weightlifting career to get selected for my first international and you know I, I'd won every competition up to that point that I'd ever competed in and you know that was nice for me because I felt like popular and felt cool in my school because I didn't have that because I was quite shy as a kid mm-hmm. and um, I remember going to my first international thinking yeah you know I'm gonna I'm gonna win this one too it was in Pavia European under 17s and um, I rocked up to this competition and uh, I got six out of six, made all my lifts, best well, best performance I'd probably ever done yep. <laughs> at international. Uh, broke the British records and I ended up finishing 22nd out of 23. <laughs> wow. But it was one of the best things that ever happened to me at such early on in my career because I realized that it wasn't about being the best in your country or being the best in your gym. If you really wanted to, you know, make it to that elite level, it was about training harder than everyone else out there in the world and it really brought me back down to earth at a young age and realized that I had a lot more work to do. So then coming back to UK after that and obviously your mindset changing and your eyes being opened up to an international level, give us a run through about your progression to making the Olympics. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a long story. I'm going to try and break it down a little bit for you but I stayed at that school up until um, I was about 16 years old. And I kept coming back away from these international competitions and I kept getting my ass kicked and it, it was shit. I didn't, I didn't like getting beat all the time. And I, I watched the other people in the training hall doing like, you know, a lot of different stuff to what I was doing. And um, I was like, coming back to my coach, I go, what, why aren't we doing the exercises that these guys are doing? Like, why aren't, you know, they're beating me, but we're not doing the same things. And the coach, you know, really didn't like me questioning the authority and um, asking different things and we ended up falling out so I ended up having to find a new weightlifting coach which was you know about two hours away from where I was living at the time and um, I ended up moving up to to Bristol to work with this new weightlifting coach and continue to train there and um, I trained there for a few years and uh, managed to get sponsorship 
which was a you know a big thing for me to be able to stay and train and um after being there and training there for a while uh, i missed out on the london 2012 olympics by one kilo which was which was heartbreaking obviously having that as my initial goal and working so hard towards that and then missing out and I thought I was doing everything that I possibly could to be the best athlete I could be but there was a lot of stuff outside of you know my training that wasn't as good as it could have been like you know I started looking at things like my nutrition my sleep my recovery all these areas that I'd never really paid enough attention to uh, in my time growing up as an athlete. And it was only then when I started tailoring those tiny little bits and working on those small areas in my career that I managed to make that one or two percent, that one kilo up that I missed out in the year before that eventually, you know, um, helped me get to the Olympic Games. And, you know, there was a lot of ups and a lot of downs in um, in between that time. But I'll kind of let you uh, lead the questions you want to ask. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And we're definitely going to come around to that Um but so going from almost making it, missing out by one kilo to making it to Rio, so 2016, what was your experience like? Yeah, I think, you know, it was great going through that experience of missing out because I still remember now how gutted I was and how that felt. But at the same times, and one of my, my favorite sayings as, you know, as a sportsman is the biggest lessons you learn are when you lose. And for me to have gone through that process of losing and missing out, I took on board a lot more of the things that, you know, was, was holding me back. And um, I went away and in between that period of time, I, st- I never paid any attention to um, psychology. Um, and I went to see a psychologist and I sat down with the psychologist and I talked them through, you know, what had happened and what I missed out on. And having someone to look at you from outside of your inner circle Mm -hmm. is very important he drew he made me ask myself questions that i wouldn't think about you know like you know sunny uh you know how many hours a night do you sleep i don't know i just go to bed when i'm tired yeah okay have you ever thought maybe you know and a couple extra hours sleep will probably help aid your recovery okay what do you eat i don't know i just eat when you know when i'm hungry yeah. Why don't you try, you know, sharpen up these areas? And that was really important because it made me start thinking about things that I hadn't paid the attention for. And like I said, in that period between, I didn't train any harder than I did before 2012 to 2016. I just trained smarter and I looked at areas outside of my normal routine that will eventually add to my overall performance. And, you know, it was that tiny details that made the difference. And I remember six months leading up to... Um, the Olympic trials I eat slept and breathed that day of qualifying for the Olympics yeah and like I said I went to bed every single day at 10 30 I ate the same thing every single day for six months I didn't drop a touch a drop of alcohol I turned myself literally into a robot yeah and the reason for that was because on that day that I had to stand and try and qualify for the Olympic Games for the second time I didn't want to be stood there thinking oh, but what if I'd done that? I didn't want to have any regrets. And, you know, that was one of the key things for me. If you ever want to be able to perform to your best ability, you've got to be in a position on the day when you compete to know that there was nothing else that you could have done to be in your best best place you can be. And only then can you really enjoy the experience of competing. Yes. And I did that and I prepared everything. I made this special black and gold lifting suit. I had these special black and gold lifting shoes. I planned my outfit, how I was getting there, everything. Like I dreamed this day. And Jeff, my sponsor, came down. He picked me up and 
we're halfway up to the venue in the car and um watching the live stream on my phone and just you know seeing the competition the lightweight categories go and you know i'm feeling good that i'm feeling really good and um all of a sudden i see this guy come out and he's wearing the lifting suit just like my new black and gold one i was like what there's no way this you know he could have got the same suit so i was a bit bummed but anyway then all of a sudden like my heart just like sunk and i was like jeff pull over you need to pull over on the motorway like like just stop and I jumped out and I ran around the back of the car, opened the boot up and opened my kit bag. I'd left my suit, my boots, everything. To the biggest day of my life, the most important competition. I'd done world championships, European championships, competed hundreds of times, major internationals. Never forgot my lifting suit, my boots. But to the biggest day of my life, I'd left it hanging on the bathroom door. And another dude's wearing it. No, well, he's wearing the suit, but like I just forgot mine at home. Oh, I'd left it at home. So what'd you do? Boots. Well, like, I had, I couldn't go back because we were too far away from my house. So if I'd gone back, I would have missed weighing. Yeah. So I ended up having to. Bo- Jeff's house was like halfway to the venue. I had to borrow my mate's lifting suit, which was too big for me. It looked horrendous. Yeah. And then my coach bought me like these old dusty boots that I'd had like five years ago. Yeah. And I just looked like a complete misfit. And like, my, I always used to like to say at competition, like, even if I don't lift the most, I want to look the best. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I want, yeah. I want the medal for best dressed. Like, yeah. <laughs> if I'm not going to win the competition. Yeah. And I just look like this complete misfit. Yeah. And I was like, shit. For me, because I'd done absolutely everything to prepare for that competition, you could have put me in a pink tutu on that day, like in a SpongeBob Square pants outfit. Yeah. I would have still qualified because yes. I had like, dreamt it and like, put that in my head that that was the only outcome for that day. And then so you qualify for the Olympics. Yeah. What was that feeling like after four years missing out by a kilo? <laughs> it wasn't just about the four years. It was kind of like the the bigger journey than that it was yep. everything that i'd ever dreamt of as a kid i wanted to be an olympian yes i didn't care what sport it was in i didn't care where i placed i just wanted to be able to call myself an olympian one day mm-hmm. and yeah it took me right back to that and all of the ups the downs you know and flashes in front of your eyes and you made it and like for a british weightlifter to get to the olympic games it's that is the being able to go is the reward it's so hard to qualify to get a spot at the olympic games that the actual competing part is like your reward for going and i remember waking up the morning of the the olympic games and i didn't train that well in between you know qualifying and the actual day because you you're all of a sudden like you're everyone like wants to know you wants to ask you questions wants to like hear about your journey your story your training in different locations there's cameras on you like as a weightlifter we train in little dusty gyms with like leaks in the roof no one cares about weightlifting there's no funding no sponsorship no nothing mm. and all of a sudden you've got 30 cameras flashing in front of you when you're trying to train and everything of your normal routine is just thrown up into the air were you mentally prepared for that N- not at all and like you kind of have to just take it in your stride but it made mm your general your normal training environment very difficult you will always do your best lifts and your best training on your platform that you train with with the bar that you're used to with your lifting shoes you know with your training partner with your favorite energy drink yes when you're in an environment where you know you're on a different bar every day there's different people around every day it's very hard to stay consistent in your routine 
And But I said to myself a week out from the competition, I said, look, I'm not going to let the fact that I'm not in my best shape ruin this day for me. I've worked my whole life to be here and I want to enjoy it. And I said that I wasn't going to sandbag, you know, I was missing weights that I'd do easy. I wasn't going to sandbag and go easy weights. I was still going to try my hardest, but I was going to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And I woke up that day from the ready for the Olympic Games and, you know, I packed my lifting suit up. But I had this smile on my face that it just couldn't get rid of, like, all day. And we got down to the venue and weighed in fine and like, I'm all excited. And Jeff had flown out, my friends had flown out to watch me. And um, I've gone to put my um, lifting suit on in the back. And we had this, you had like a special lifting suit made just for you again. Yes. Because I was the only man that competed for Great Britain. And um, I pulled it out and I was like, ah, yes. Pulled it on, pulled it up past my bum. <coughs> thing rips in half. I was like, no, not no. again. <laughs> like the, the lifting suit thing's got me again. This time, luckily, I bought a spare, like put the spare on, fine. Yeah. And um, I started playing with the bar in the warm-up room. I'm feeling like, like I said, like first, like so buzzing, like I couldn't like explain it. And you get called up, Sonny Webster, get in the queue, ready to go out to presentation. And I just remember like being stood there in my Team GB tracksuit, and I wanted to cry. And like, I'd never felt emotional like that in a weightlifting scenario ever before, because weightlifting's like, ah, like aggression like you know masculine sport and uh, you like preparing for battle almost and i was almost tearing up and it's like i said it's like all the highs the lows of my career and there's a lot more lows than there was highs Mm. flashed in front of my eyes and i was there and it was sunny webster team gb representing great britain it was such a magical moment to get called out to represent your country on the biggest stage ever and it was kind of like a capping off of, you know, everything that my younger life had been driven towards. And, yeah. you know, I missed out on a lot as a kid and you sacrificed so much friendships, family to have got there and I was there. And, what yeah. was it like once you were on the platform actually lifting? Did you feel a lot of pressure? <laughs> was it or was it such an amazing experience? Like ev- all your senses were like heightened tenfold. Mm-hmm. Like I could hear everything. I could feel everything. I could, you know, almost like taste the air. Like it was very special. And I think knowing that so much of my friends and family were at home watching me and, you know, really wishing that I did well, I felt added pressure that like I get that competition but like it was kind of like tenfold you had that weight of like the country on you because mm-hmm. at the Olympics everyone gets behind it whereas at the world championships it's just only the weightlifting community that cares. very niche yeah. yeah so it was there was a lot more pressure in that sense but I just tried to soak everything up yeah. every lift I you know I was interacting with the crowd I was soaking up the platform being here all these shiny weights and stuff and really taking it all in and I only made three out of my six lifts on the platform, but it felt like I made every single one of them <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because like, I enjoyed every single one of those lifts. And that's what's so special for me now, being able to reflect and talk about it. It wasn't my best performance, but I enjoyed every second of it. And I think for something like that, that you may never, ever get the opportunity to do again, mm-hmm. you need to be able to leave it on a, on a good note. And I did. And I now reflect on it with, you know, with a full heart and with a smile as that will probably always be one of the greatest days of my life. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was cool. 
and I, I wore my red snapback on the platform. <laughs> yes, yeah, and um, famous. Yeah, and and that caused like a, a lot of like controversy. Like yes, and I remember walking off to do my first interview afterwards. And they were like Sonny, but you know, what's, did you break any records today? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I was the first man to compete with a snapback <laughs> on. <laughs> that probably works for your branding in the future as yeah, well. Yeah, right? but like the thing was for me, it was like generally in weightlifting, there's like a choice about three different weightlifting shoes. There's a choice about three different weightlifting suits. And mm. we spoke about this earlier. You see someone come out that, you know, you don't know much about their background, where they're from, what they've put in to be there on that day. And for every single person, they'll have a story. And... It's you in the bar. You see them lift a weight you can't comprehend and they walk off. Yeah. Fine. You don't get any understanding of their personality, them as a person, and it's very hard. And, you know, when everyone comes out wearing the same thing, lifting weights you can't comprehend. Whereas the snapback for me was my way of expressing a little bit of yeah. my my personality without, you know, having to do with it. You only get a short time on that platform. And it was received by a lot of people in the wrong way. Mm. But it was meant in a sense of me expressing, you know, um, my personality and, and, and my passion and trying to more than anything, like, make the sport a bit more exciting, a bit cooler, a bit like, you know, Which we spoke about. It's a, style, it's a style sport to yeah. watch. And, and I think it's important to be able to attract people in um, to be able to do things like that. So I thought it was cool. I, I definitely appreciated <laughs> it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, really cool. Um, now, talking about the questions uh, leading into us. So you've gone to the Olympics, you've lived your dream, and then the controversy comes in where you return a, uh, a positive drug test for uh, Osterine, which is a SARM. Um, initially, you received a two-year ban, except you fought that as well, um, or you went through a long, lengthy process to feel it. Um, to um, to fight it. How did life switch going from living your dream to then having this instantly happen? And you can elaborate on what happened if you want to, if I didn't explain it. Yeah, well. so the Olympics, biggest day of my life, great. You come back from the Olympic Games and I think um, everything, you know, everything that you push to one side after such an amazing day, like the family, your friends, people who cared about you, they're not there anymore. Yeah, and it's a very lonely place after that time and I didn't want to train or really do much for a while after the Olympics went on the holidays and stuff and I started to get back into my training and you know set my next goal as Commonwealth Games was my next goal mm-hmm. and started training hard as I normally would and um, I was uh, I've been drug tested maybe 60 times before that never even dreamed of cheating you know like it was where it was in for any for me more than anything prior you know to that was promoting clean sport and yeah. it's in, important in a sport where you know get our ass kicked all the time that you know everyone should be on a level playing field and um gets the day it was an out of hours at a competition test which for people listening who don't know what that is that's uh we give an hour of where we are for every single day so that we can be drug tested in Britain. Mm-hmm. So not many countries do it. I think Australia do it as well. Yeah, we do. But you give an hour of everything. I've been doing that since the age of, I think, 16 years old. Mm-hmm. And um, an out of hours test means they come outside of your allotted time slot. And my it was at nine o'clock at night that they came to test me. Mm-hmm. And I know if my doorbell goes at nine o'clock, <laughs> it's the drug testers, fine. And you know I'm more than happy to let them in to come test me. If I had not been there, if I'd not answered the door, no problem. Yes. Okay. Okay. 
Um, but no, again, more than happy to come in, do my drug test as normal. I know my drug tester well. Like he's come and sat with me many a mornings for a coffee at 6 a.m. and test done fine. Mm-hmm. Um, even posted it on Instagram that night on my story, you know, late night drug test. Two weeks later, I'm driving up to uh, play golf and I get a call off the CEO of British Bay. Do I know well? Spoke to him, speak to him all the time. He goes, uh, Sonny, you, um, you tested, you, um, read your emails no what do you mean and I thought he was like messing around with me he's like you've had a positive drug test mate and I was like what and I genuinely thought he was like taking the mickey to begin with and he's like no no Sonny this is serious like you need to go and check your check your emails like, oh, shit. I went on my emails and like I pulled over to the side of the road and I read this this email from UCAD saying you've had a positive drug test mm-hmm. I was like what the fuck is Osterine and I was in shock to begin with like I didn't really know what to do and I rang up a couple of my friends and close friends and told them and I was like in a state of panic to begin with um because it's like this this is my whole life mm. and um I even thought for a split second I was driving part of the airport I was like I might just ditch the car and disappear like this is gonna ruin my life and um I got back and, you know, I spoke to a really close friend and I was like, at the time I was saving to buy a house mm-hmm. and I knew it was expensive to fight a drug case and I was like, I've, I need to do this. I need to fight this and find out where this has come from because this has not happened intentionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first thing I had to do was notify them that I was going to contest it. That cost you 4000 Aussie dollars straight away to be able to contest your drug case. Um, I then spent $12,000 um, having all of my supplements tested. So I was working with the supplement brand at the time and um, I was also having, you know, I'd have like normal things like BCAs, creatine, protein, normal stuff you do. But, you know, I would have like energy drinks, pre-workouts and stuff like that. And, you know, I think you never expect anything to be in those things because you're just like, well, they're off the shelf, they're fine. And mm. I'd always been so careful with that throughout my career that you know you'd never think anything of it uh so i had all my supplements tested and the level of osterine in my system was the lowest dose ever recorded in a human urine sample for a doping test sure which would go to suggest that the level that i had was such such a low amount with whatever i had it in Mm -hmm. and there was 46 cases that year of positive test through contamination for osterine so my likelihood thinking straight away was it was got to be from contamination from my supplements had all my supplements tested nothing there was only one specialist that was it would have been able to test down that low mm-hmm. um to find because it's called nicer accreditation when you have a instrument that can test down for to find things and the one guy that was able would have been able to test down low enough was actually ucad's doctor but sure. you can't use the same doctor to test for same witness if you like so i had to use this other person they didn't find it i then i'd spent further money having some other supplements i had um tested still didn't find it i was then offered by ucad to admit to doing it um and they would give me two years there was no way that you don't do weightlifting for money you don't do weightlifting for fame yeah there was no way that i was admitting to doing something that i hadn't done intentionally Mm for the sake of two years my morals was not going to let that happen and i wanted to fight it right down to the line because at the end of the day like i wanted to be able to say that i did everything i possibly could to prove my innocence yeah 
And um, so I said, no, I don't want the two years. We're, we're going to court. And I hired these lawyers and stuff. And we went to court. And the day before the court case, they said, look, so we'll give you one year if you admit to admit to doing it and you can tell us someone else that will lead us to a positive test. I was like, are you mad? Like, I'm not go- I don't know who's taking drugs, you know? Yeah. Um, and that was mad to see how corrupt that was. And the reasoning behind that was that they wanted to not to go to court was because they had to hire an external legal team, which is very expensive because I had very good lawyers. And the minute it goes to court, it costs me like about 20,000 Aussie dollars for the court case. Yeah, sure. And that would have cost them a similar amount. And um, they didn't want that to happen, but obviously I was going right down the line with this. So anyway, no, I said no, went to court, and the court case could not have gone better. Okay. Their doctor came on and spoke at the um, in the courtroom and said the likelihood is is this you know um, with the dose being that low that it could have come from contamination. Mm-hmm. Um, we also found out that in the courtroom that UCAD had withheld us from using him, and he said he would have been happy to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, which was hard to hear in the courtroom. But basically, long and short of it, it couldn't have gone better. And I thought at that point, I was going to, the evidence was quite clear that this had been not something that happened intentionally. I hadn't impeded anyone's performance by this. I hadn't, like, you know, been competing during that period of time. I'd been tested at my last competition, fine. And I thought, you know, likelihood is maybe we were going to try to get six months or a year and I'd be back in time for the Commonwealth Games. Mm Two months later, find out, getting four years, worst possible van you can receive in mm. Olympic weightlifting. Yeah. And yeah, my life had fallen apart, to be honest. And, you know, I'd spent all my life savings. I now couldn't compete in a sport that I'd de- devoted my whole life to. And um, prior to this being announced, I spent the time calling anyone, everyone that I was ever involved with in the sport to tell them what I've just told you there, yeah. the honest truth of what had happened. Yep. If I'd wanted to cheat, and this is the kind of man I am, I would have cheated. I would have gone, I got caught out, held my hands up, and taken my two years and gone, I tried to cheat. Yeah. That wasn't the case, you know? Um, at the end of the day, like I said, for me earlier on, like I was more interested in being best dressed than I was winning the competition. And, you know, you can only do as much as you can do. There was a bit of no benefit at that point in my career to have tried to cheat. I've already done everything I wanted to achieve. Mm. and um, I told everyone my story and uh, I got a lot of support from everyone, my friends, my family and the people that were close to me because these people had seen me grow up through the sport from 11 years old Yep. and they know me well enough to know that I would never even dream of doing something like that Yeah. And then, um, but then when the news comes out I was fortunate enough to get my story out ahead of the press mm-hmm. which was good because a lot of people got to hear my side of the story first went on the back foot yeah and um you know, it got received really well. I think more than anything because of my honesty in it. And at the end of the day, majority of the time when people are put in that situation, um, they go and hide, like we said. Whereas these, whereas because I've been quite honest about what the scenario that I'd been through, people respected that. And um, but I also found, and you saw the people that really were your friends, yeah, and the people that stuck by and supported you, and the people that stabbed you in the back. And it was a lonely time and I was extremely depressed um, for a long time. I said after I'd said everything I needed to that, you know, I can continue to dwell on this and, you know, let it ruin my life. Or I can draw a line in the sand and continue to um, educate and like breed 
show people my passion that I have for the sport and share, continue to share the love of sport with people, regardless what I've been through. Uh, it doesn't change me as a as a person or as a man. You know, if anything, it's taught me a lot about myself, and especially have dealt with that level of depression and that level of you know sadness and to come out the other side I think is really important and I know a lot of people that you know off the back of that have seen what I've been through and see how I am now as a person and continue to chase my dreams and my passion have learned from that which was really what I wanted to yeah. come off the back of something that was so terrible that had happened to me. So I, I guess after the aftermath of this happening and and how long did it take for you to pick yourself back up? Because I've, I guess I've entered your journey from doing the seminar, yeah, yeah, seeing yeah. you with all the cool vloggers, seeing you, seeing you do such great things. At what point did you say, you know what, I'm not going to sit down, I'm going to continue my life and be a success by helping s- yeah, spread I what think, I love? I think after, it took me a year before I felt comfortable to discuss it in public. Yep. Um, you know, to, to come to terms with it, and I didn't realize how long, it takes that healing process because I'd been asked to do podcasts and talk about it before and I'd never really felt comfortable to do it and I didn't realize that was because I hadn't come to terms with it yet sure so I'd say it took me a year in that process to be able to process the information and be able to talk about it but the day after I announced it I went back to the gym and I trained you know weightlifting is my life I wake up every day and as Linda will tell you it's I need that in my in my life to function you know it's part of my daily routine it's part of me so i wasn't just about going to stop training and stop doing what i love doing so um i'd say in terms of the training and the routine of training was pretty much straight away awesome what about out doing workshops and um doing the things that you do now that people love that people come from london to bali from everywhere around the world yeah i think to come to come see you do what you do i've been doing that maybe two years prior to the olympics even you know it just become a lot more popular after the olympics um i think for me with with what i do with the crossfit community it's trying to take like i said a sport that's very dated and very difficult to be something inaccessible and fun and easy to learn and i'm trying to bridge that gap my goal going forward is to change the perception of weightlifting as a sport in the world mm-hmm. it's a big goal yes. but one gym at a time 30 people at a time yep with everyone that i have with my academy that i'm a part of my following i'm trying to breed that and you know express that so um they keep getting popular and you know i love doing it this is the bit for me that you know yes it allows me to continue to travel financially covers my living costs but working with people one-on-one in a way to at the end of the day they'll probably be i'd probably say 70 percent of this room will walk out that door with the pb and if not they would have had a bloody fun day lifting weights yeah that is my reward of what i want to do and one gym at a time like i said I'll, i'll be doing that um, so two more questions because I know that you got to go jump into your. <laughs> I'm yep. looking at the time, but I know that you got to go jump into it well. in a second. Um, so you've been doing the courses, and, and your popularity has grown um, yep. so much as well. You're obviously doing something that you love and making an impact. And um, oh, it must have been around six months ago we imposed a reban. Yeah. Yeah. So having the four year ban, how does how does that affect you into entering competition at all in the future? Um, do you know what the craziest thing about this all all is? So, Austrian is a supplement, the dose level that I've I tested for. Mm. In two years' time, UFC are making that level of 
Osterine okay. Well, let's cover UFC for a second because I've worked with a lot of athletes and I work for a brand that used Hastur approval. So I've, so I've dealt in this space quite a bit. And obviously everyone knows about John Jones and what happened recently and the picograms and that yeah. they're saying, no, no, like that's fine. He's back through. And you're talking about... Mine was underneath the same level and therefore I would have in two years time had I been through that process would have not been banned. Yet, if you look, I would now as of last week would have served if I on that day admitted to doing something I hadn't done I would have been back competing now I would be clean to lift now yeah but yet instead got the four and then was sanctioned with a further three for doing what I do now so now it's a seven year total so my question with this and and I'm going to ask this question because someone from the weightlifting community asked me and I have my opinion so I'll give you my opinion afterwards Do you think it's responsible to offer courses and... I'm trying to word it, sorry, how they did. Do you think it's responsible to offer courses and online programs if people can potentially get banned for taking them? So my online... My courses, for example, if you come to come to one of my seminars there, it's an opportunity to learn from me that has a positive impact on the person that comes therefore i don't think that should be a sanctional like my and my knowledge of weightlifting has nothing to do with my performance side of my weightlifting you know yeah and what i deliver in my seminar is like i said uh, it's exposing the sport in a positive light we don't go into anything regarding my ban anything to do with drugs it is about learning the movement technically efficiently Mm -hmm. okay um, the online programming is ran through Webstar Performance, which is a business, yes, that I own with other partners. Yep. And therefore, that is what delivers the programs. Yeah. The intellectual knowledge, whether I wrote it or whether a coach wrote it for me, and it's on a platform for people to buy. Again, if you're using those trading programs, that is for your benefit and as to what you do with them is fine if people want to come on there and for example you post a video on instagram of you doing a snatch and you say sunny will you have a look at that for me yeah and i go yeah no problem keep your chest up yeah does that make me your coach or is i have i offered you advice to help you improve mm. okay the reason why it's a bannerful offense for someone who competes to attend is because i'm acting as their coach yeah. i don't deem you following an online program that's delivered by my business, me your coach. Yeah. A coach is someone who's with you three times a week, monitoring what you're doing every single day in your training plans and making something personal for you. Yes. I'm then going to go with you to your competition and watch you compete and direct you in competition. Yeah. Okay? That makes me your coach. That is what the bannable offense is. Yes. To attend a seminar where you're going to be educated does not deem me your coach. Mm. So therefore, I don't feel as though it's irresponsible to do that because at the end of the day, my seminars are not for weightlifters. Yeah. Okay. My seminars are for CrossFitters. Okay. I want to teach the CrossFit community how to improve their lifting. Mm. Okay. And therefore, if you're a competitive weightlifter, you do not have to attend my seminar. Mm. Okay. It's not designed for you. It will help you if you've never done weightlifting before. If you want to have a better understanding of how to coach weightlifting, great, come along. But it's your it's your obligation as an athlete to want to do that, you know. And there's been there's been I can tell you now hundreds of athletes that compete that go fuck you to the organisation. I still want to come and and learn from Sunny. 
Yeah. And that is their choice. And, you know, I'm not forcing anyone to to want to come and, and do that. Nor marketing. Oh, Ryan Woodall. What's happening, buddy? Um, cool. So my opinion on that, like just to close off so people listening understand, I agree with what you're saying. Um, the courses are not marketing to get people on the platform for weightlifting. Not at all. I would say close to 100% of people coming to these things are CrossFit athletes or CrossFit enthusiasts. Mm. Let's even just put them at that level. They're running CrossFit boxes and they're marketed for people that want to learn how to have better yeah. weightlifting technique. So I'm in agreement with you and through the messages where this came from, I made my point really, really clear, but I thought I'd put it out there to get your side of yeah, things. Yeah, and as I, well. I know that, you know, a lot of the Australian weightlifting federation, Australian weightlifting community, New Zealand weightlifting community have not been, you know, well received the fact that I've come over here to deliver seminars. But it's like I said said earlier when we we're in the car. I've come over here to offer people education. There's nothing to stop the athletes that are here, the Australian athletes, to do the same thing. Yeah. And, you know, it's the same with British Weightlifting Organization. I was more than happy to offer, you know, my advice on helping athletes get into the position where they can deliver seminars, you know, build an audience so that people, first of all, want to come and learn from that person and connect. But, you know, because of the way that it was received initially, that didn't make me feel as I wanted to put my hand out to help. Yeah. If there was people in Australia doing what I do in terms of seminars and the education stuff, I would not be requested to come over from the UK to do it here. Plus, you're a cool personality too. The fun stuff you do online, the hat backwards, you know, on the Olympic platform, it makes people, you're, you're a person that people want to connect to and you've done that work. But there's lots of other cool weightlifters out there as well. That's what I mean. There's so many other cool weightlifters out there and there will be cool weightlifters in Australia yeah. that are, you know, great personalities and great but people. They need to show themselves so that people can see that yeah you know and then the the seminars and stuff will come to that i wasn't trying to cause any ill offense to any of the communities by continuing to to earn a living and you know pursue my passion for the sport yeah. just like they do which i think is important um so wrapping things up i guess fast forward to the future um you know when you're 80 year old sonny looking back and i i guess doing the courses and getting that extended band, which is probably going to stop you from getting back on that Olympic platform. Do you think you'll look back with regret that you didn't get a chance to be back on there? Or do you think that you'll look back that you turned an ad- uh, you, you turned an adversity into a strength and created something of your own? Yeah, I think definitely for me, like I never had intention to go back to the Olympics again. For me, it was just about going there, being there, and calling myself an Olympian. People do not realize what you sacrifice in order to become an Olympian. Mm-hmm. I lost friends, family, relationships, everything I missed out on because I w- decided selfishly that I wanted to become an Olympian. I would never put myself through that again in that selfish state to become an Olympian again because of that. I've got different importances and different you know, focuses now in my life. You know, I've been yep. through the full circle. Um, I think when I look back in 80 years time or when I'm 80 years old, if I can get there, um, I'll look back on that. I remember as a very young kid, my first coach saying to me, with weightlifting or with any sport, you should leave it in a better, spe- better state than when you found it. 
And that for me, ultimately, when I look back at my career through weightlifting, I want to look back and go, I've left weightlifting in a better state than when I found it. And I've had a positive impact on it. And if I can do that, great. Regardless of my personal aspirations to compete, be an athlete, to achieve, it's just about leaving the sport in a better state than where it's at. And I feel as though that I'm on the right path to be doing that at the moment. Awesome. Love it. Love the impact that you're doing. You're about to go head into your seminar. If people want to learn from you, where's the best place that they should either connect with you or go to the academy? Come play on Instagram, first of all. <laughs> come and see what I'm about. Come on my page. It's at Sunny Webster GB. Um, come and get some tips. Come and see. You know, I'm always posting little freebie tips, little educational, simple things that we can all do to practice to be better at weightlifting. Um, I'm currently working within the academy, which is the most exciting thing to put together um, an online program where people can learn to weightlift from scratch. Also, awesome. you could have listened to this podcast today and gone, fuck, weightlifting sounds cool. I want to give it a go. Soon, within the next couple of months, there's going to be a program within my uh, academy, SunnyWebsterAcademy.com, where you could go and step-by-step step learn how to do Olympic weightlifting, which is extremely exciting because that's the first step for me to be able to reach people that, you know, that follow me, that follow weightlifting, that it isn't accessible to at the moment, but they'd be able to get up themselves a bar and weights and learn very light from scratch how to do the techniques correctly. We also have programs on the academy like the mobility manual that teach people how to get their body moving better in preparation to do weightlifting. And there's stuff on there for the CrossFitters that want to develop their weightlifting alongside their lifting plans. So we're kind of catering to everything um, and trying to make it as accessible, like I said, for the masses as possible. There's nothing that's personalized about um, the programs because I'm going to tell you now, I didn't have a personalized plan until I was maybe six, seven years into my weightlifting career. <laughs> you don't need it. You yes. just need structure. Awesome. And we've got all of that within the academy. So yeah, go and check it out through Insta. Awesome. All right, guys, check out the show notes. We'll put all those links in for you. Check out Sunny on Instagram, Sunny Webster. Thanks for being on. Thanks very much. That's a wrap for today, guys. I really hope you enjoyed this fascinating conversation with Olympic weightlifting athlete, Sonny Webster. I really think this is one of our best podcasts to date. So if you guys enjoyed it, I'd love it if you head to iTunes, give us a five-star review and make sure that you leave a message on there. We really do appreciate it. But I think that's it. And as always, stay tuned for more of the Perth Fitness scene to come.